Ephesians chapter 2. What a, uh, what a blessed passage to get to teach on and get to read together. Um, let's look at uh, verses 1 through 4, and then uh, actually 1 through 5, and then we'll uh, hopefully get through all 10 verses this morning. Starting in Ephesians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. It should be marked, it should be ready for you. Ephesians 2, starting verse 1. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh of the mind, and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, you might want to circle that in your Bible, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Let's pray. Lord, we ask now that these words, which are so precious and powerful, Lord, that you would speak beyond what anything I prepared, but your spirit would speak, and Lord, we would hear from you. We pray, Lord, we rejoice in these words, but we'd also grow in them, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, as I mentioned, this is a great passage to read uh, as a believer. If you're feeling down sometimes, this is a great passage to turn to and reread, uh, because it'll always be true, it'll always be life-giving. It's a powerful passage. It's a, a wonderful passage. It's one, that, one of those kind of promises passages we can stand on. But uh, if you think about, if you've had any time in this study and you think about Ephesus and the Ephesian people, they were from a great city. You know, uh, I don't know about you, but I, love, I actually love big cities. I, I, I've enjoyed places like London and New York and Chicago. And uh, Now, as an unsafe person, you enjoy them in a different way. You know, the city that never sleeps and all that kind of stuff that, you know, you think about all the things you can do. But, uh, but there is something about big cities in the sense that they have a little bit of things for everybody. If you want baseball games, if you want the theater, if you want uh, nightlife, if you want great restaurants, if you want fashion, there's something that cities like New York or London, they have a little bit of everything for everybody. And Ephesus was that kind of city. I mean, you were living right if you were living in Ephesus. I mean, many roads led to Ephesus. It was one of Rome's foremost cities, and so the people essentially had it all. But Paul came to Ephesus, and you know, they, they had their idol worship, they had their fun, they had the nightlife, they had all the notoriety, and Paul said, but I came there, and yet in one sense, you thought you were alive because you were in the great city of Ephesus, but you were dead. You were dead as a doornail. Your city was dead. Your spirit was dead. Your lives were dead. And even though that was definitely true of those in Ephesus that maybe thought they were living the good life, when they came to salvation, they realized that really Jesus had, just like we did in the baptism, had been pulled up out of death, raised into newness of life. And that was true of the Ephesians. But it's also true of us too, isn't it? It's true of us. We live in a, a country that represents Ephesus. You know, America has it all. If you have the American good life, you have everything. 
but you really don't, do you? I mean, there, re- there still really is a finality to our life. You know, in the last few weeks, um, I, can't, I, I, I don't have the exact number in my head, but uh, in the last few weeks, and some of you are part of this, I've literally seen people that I personally know, like f- something like six, seven people die in the last three weeks that were either a parent, a grandparent, or a spouse, or some close family member. And it's just that constant reminder that death never stops sinking more and more people into that uh, abyss of eternity. And Paul says, because of that fact, you need God to intervene. And a lot of times we don't, we don't think about those things because we can, ke- we can keep focused on everything but eternity, right? And so when you're focused on everything but eternity, you're, you kind of are oblivious to it, but all of a sudden... Uh, when you go to a funeral or you see someone else that, that uh, has died and you see uh, the pain and the suffering with it, you're reminded that we really are stuck in bodies that are decaying. But it's not just the body that's decaying. The spirit was born in decay. I was just reminded this. Is, uh, so my oldest daughter is in a, has a biology class. And I got the good news. She reminded me this week. She said, Dad, uh, according to biology, we start dying at the age of 20. I have really bad news for those of you that are way past 20. I said, that's why I felt so good at 19, you know. I thought I was still not, I thought I was still proliferating in, in, uh, in new strength and power at 23, 24, 25, but according to biologists, we actually start, the clock starts to, we kind of roll up to 20 and then it starts to start rolling backwards. And then you're like on a tug of war forever to try and hold on to 20, Right? But Jesus can make us alive as if we're young all over again, spiritually speaking. I want to look at three things this morning. If you're taking notes and you see the title of our time in the Word this morning, Made Alive, uh, I didn't have any creative title. It's just right there in verse 1. It's also mentioned again uh, in verse 5. But we'll look at three things this morning. The first is found in the first couple of verses here, our past Paul outlines here three things that we'll look at. The first we'll look at is our past. We'll look at um, three things in our past. We'll look at our uh, former death, our former walk, and our former conduct. You say former death. Uh, Former death. We were dead before, and I thought we were dying from the age of 20. Well, that's, that's the physical body. But our former death... If you're here today and you've been born again, and I'm not, I can't assume that every single person in here has been born again, that would be a hope, but I don't know that for, the, uh, for, for certain. Only the Holy Spirit knows. But if you're here today and you've been born again and you've been saved from sin, you have already experienced the life-changing power of salvation. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. You've experienced that life-changing power. You, if you've been born again already, you were formerly dead, spiritually dead. You were not partially dead, but completely dead, because dead means dead, right? The word here for dead is nekros, that's the Greek word, and it means lifeless, one that has breathed their last. It would be like talking to an embalmed body. 
You can talk to an embalmed body all you want, but an embalmed body's not going to talk back to you. If it does, that's a scary situation, right? <laughs> we were not a little unhealthy. We were not just a little misguided. We were not a little sleepy, a little bit flawed, a little rusty. No, we were spiritually dead. Unable to see, unable to hear, unable to respond. In an absolutely real sense, think about this. In an absolutely real sense, though not physically, if you're saved, you've already been resurrected from the dead. If you're saved, you've already been resurrected from the dead. Now, there's another resurrection coming. We'll get, the detail, we'll get to the details of that miracle in just a few minutes. But let's understand what our past looked like. Sometimes we drift back into past thinking. Sometimes we can drift back into past in our behavior. Sometimes we've forgotten about the past and we can become really self-righteous and even, you know, uh, I cannot believe these unsaved people do these things. What? You used to do these things. So we can't forget, in a sense, where we came from but we don't ever want to go back and live where we came from. Paul makes clear that we were spiritually dead just as a dead body is physically dead. But there's more to understand about this former condition and the current condition of anyone who's still unsaved today. This is still their current condition. We were dead in what? It says here in verse 1, we were dead in trespasses and sins. We were dead in trespasses and sins, meaning that our death was deserved. Paul makes, it, makes the point here, trespasses and sins. Our death was deserved. Trespasses indicates that our state of death was in part due to our own offenses. You know when a sign says no trespassing, and you clearly read it, and you clearly say, I'm going in anyway. Every boy at the age of 12 does this a million times. <laughs> Trespassing signs mean nothing to young boys. They're actually an invitation, usually, because there might be something fun on the other side of the fence, right? No trespassing. But trespasses, it indicates we have ha we've had an offense. Sins, plural, is a reflection of our sin nature. We're born in sin. David said he was conceived in sin. We have a sin nature, and sin nature produces a lot of sins. Offenses is just basically saying, I see the rule, and I'm going to do it anyway. Sins is we just, we have some sins we didn't even know we committed, right? We just kind of, it's our nature to sin. And so, as sinners, we have very naturally sinned. We need a supernatural help, but we very naturally uh, sin all of which has rendered us dead. To go back to the original point that Paul made, you were dead in your trespass and sin, and he's saying spiritually dead, but headed to eternal death. Spiritually dead, headed to an eternal death. A lifeless and hopeless condition. And God here, he's pulling back the curtain below our skin. What do I mean by that? God's pulling back the curtain below our skin, Beyond the molecular structure of our physical being, he's, he's talking about all the way deep down in the soul and the spirit, something we can't tangibly touch or feel, but it's just as real as the physical body. When we were dead, 
and the cause of death. If, if you could look down like God can see, God can see the soul and the spirit. We can't. Boy, we can actually, our, he's given us a mind to connect to the soul and the spirit where we can make decision, where we can respond. But God can see down, and it would be marked with a tag. You ever seen, like in a morgue, our spirit would be marked with a tag, sins and trespasses, cause of death. That's what it would be. But Paul, he takes us back to how we lived in verses 2 and 3. He takes us back to how we lived even as our spirit was lifeless and our minds and body, we function like weekends at Bernie's. Remember that movie? Right? We were propped up going everywhere, right? Like our spirit. It would be like the, the living guy is the body and Bernie is the spirit one, right? You know, and just together we were palling around, not knowing what we were doing. The Bible talks about we did a lot of our sins in ignorance because we were spiritually dead. Let's look at this former walk. We'll look at three things under our past. Our former death, which we just looked at. Now our former walk. He says, in which you once walked, verse 2, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. You ever been to the airport? You stepped on one of those moving sidewalks? That's what they're called, right? The, the original one, I think, was, uh, uh, it was at one of those, not a World's Fair, but something similar as an exposition back, I want to say in the late 1800s or something. But today, you find them in all the major airports, the moving sidewalks. They're usually in the center, going from terminal to terminal. If you've ever stepped on one of those, now the ca if you go up or step on one, here's a, here's a tip for you. The casual travelers are supposed to stay on the right and just lean on their backs and relax. The super busy business travelers, they get the left-hand lane. They're hauling by you because even though it's moving, they can accelerate the walk that much more, right? So you now know, if you're in a casual state, you are on the right side, and there's usually a little yellow line to designate casual travelers hang out here, super ambitious people on the left, right? That you have the left hand, just like on the highway, although people don't seem to know that rule either. But um, So that's the way it works if you ever get on one of these moving sidewalks. So they let the intense business travelers haul by you on the left, but whether you're running full speed on a moving sidewalk, walking at a brisk pace, walking at a leisure pace, or just standing there, everyone is propelled in the same direction. Everyone is being propelled in the same exact direction. And everyone's being accelerated to some degree in that state. And this is an apt description of the world we live in. It's like the world is on a moving sidewalk, the whole world. It's on the same moving sidewalk. It's the same conveyor belt headed in the same direction. And to move in the opposite direction is very difficult. You'd have to fight through a whole bunch of people as well as the actual momentum itself to go the other direction. Now, we're born in sin. And when we're born, we're already headed in the wrong direction. We're already placed on that conveyor belt, that moving sidewalk. We already have an attraction to this world that no one had to, no one had to tell us to be attracted to this world. We, we're born attracted to this world. But notice who amplifies and solidifies the world's course. Paul says here, in, once you, in which you once walked, that you, you were walking on that, that direction, and you're walking in the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air. Who is it that amplifies and solidifies the world's course, 
Well, the prince of the power of the air is one of the names of who? Satan. It's one of Satan's names. He has other names in the Bible, that great dragon, the serpent, Beelzebub, right? The deceiver. He's got different names, but this is one of Satan's names. Now, Satan, it says prince of the power of the air. This is important to understand. What does that mean? Well, Satan's a spirit being. He doesn't get allergies like I do. He doesn't get tired. You know, he doesn't get weary like you do. He doesn't get sick like you do. He's the prince of the power of the air. He's an angelic being uh, created as one of the highest, if not the highest order of all the angels. But sin was found in him, the fallen angel. But as a spirit being, unlike humans, he's not bound. He doesn't have to drive a car to get from one place to another. He literally can circle the globe and does. Circles the globe. The world, his, his sphere. He took Jesus in, in Jesus' 40 days of temptation, remember? He took Jesus two places. Said, well, look down on the kingdom. He, he told Jesus, look down on the kingdom. Now, Jesus didn't need Satan help to do this. My point is Satan's an, he's a spirit being, so he inhabits, he's not like God omniscient or omnipresent, but he is not like us bound by terra firma earth. He literally can be in Tokyo seconds later or whatever, in another part of the world working with his demonic horde on this system of the world. Prince of the power of the air. He's working on the course of this world. He circles the globe with his demonic forces to do what? Well, to deepen deception, to deepen the confusion that we see all around, to deepen the conflict. When you see that people hate each other more and more in America and you're not understanding why, I can tell you who's behind it all. It's not the color of people's skin. It's not who's in the White House this year, next year, five years ago, ten years from now. It's none of those things. I'm not saying that the people are perfect. No, they're all sinners. I get that. But Satan's behind all of this conflict and confusion and deception and temptation. I mean, we have enough to deal with with our own flesh. But then he says, now I'll give you so many things. It's like being in one of those carnival mirror places, right? To disorient the whole world. That's what he does. He wants the entire world in bondage. In 1 John 5.19, now this is verified plenty of places in Scripture. 1 John 5.19 says, we know that we are of God. Isn't that great to know? If you've been saved, we know that we are of God. And that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Satan really does have a lot of power. He's powerless to the person that turns to Jesus. But for those that haven't, there's a lot of power. He, he controls the world. That's why once Jesus said it's harder for a rich man to get to heaven than to camel to pass the island. You know, if Satan says, hey, I'll help you have everything you possibly want, it's hard to say no once you've got all that stuff. He knows what works on people. The world has a mindset that the Bible refers to as this, the spirit of Antichrist. It's the world's mindset. The world not, does not, you could, you could talk to people that you know uh, at work that might be trying to be good moral people. They would not think in any sense that they have a spirit of Antichrist. That's what the Bible says they do. When Jesus was talking to the, um, the Pharisees, he says, you're like your father, the devil. That didn't go over well with them either, by the way. <laughs> they said they were sons of Abraham. He said, no, you're sons of the devil. But they didn't know they were, right? 
They were in the course of the world. Anything but Christ in this world is preferred. Anything. Or appealing. You watch the news, you watch movies, you watch TV. Anything but Jesus is preferred. Unless you want to use his name as a swear word, then that's preferred. Anything. Other religions. Power. People love power, don't they? Success. People love success. Fame. Everyone wants to be famous now. And everyone can be because now they have Facebook. Right? <laughs> Everybody can be famous. Sports, leisure, music, immorality, entertainment, materialism. The list goes on and on and on. Satan's like, I've got it all. What do you want? What, what floats your boat? What is really appealing to you? I'll give you something. Just stay away from Jesus. Satan plays a role in all those things. It's a complex system that he's been working on for 6,000 years now. He knows, exact, he knows people better than people know people. He knows how they tick. He knows what can draw them into temptation. He knows which person to send to you at the office. He knows which temptation to use. He knows which lie to use, which TV show is going to appeal to you, which music is going to drag you away from the Lord, whatever it is. He knows all that stuff. But it's a complex system that people obliviously walk in, completely unaware of it, even as to how they're influenced. Do you realize that all of us are influenced by this world, whether we realize it or not? God has to remind me sometimes, hey, you're being influenced. Just your mindset. Not that I'm running after the world anymore, but I'll just start to think in a certain way. Say, well, this is what we do. I'm like, God says, where did I tell you this is what we do? This is what be what they do. But I've called you to take up your cross and follow this direction. It's not always what the world does. We have um, an influence in how we think and how we live, how we make decisions. I love what Jesus said in John chapter 12, verses 31, 32. He said, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Do you know someday Jesus is going to cast Satan out? He'll never deceive the nations ever again. He'll never be able to do this stuff, but he's still here now. The, the casting out hasn't happened yet, has it? Now the victory was secured at Calvary and the resurrection, but the casting out hasn't taken place yet. But by the way, if you're saved, he has cast him out of us. He has no more power over us. We can be deceived in thinking he does, and I'm here to tell you he has no power over you. That's why Paul could write to the Roman church, you'll now crush Satan underfoot. doesn't matter that he can float around the globe. So can the Holy Spirit. But more than around the globe, he's everywhere in the universe. And he says, Jesus goes on to say, and if I am lifted up, same passage, next verse, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. What's Jesus saying? The defeat of Satan is directly tied to the cross. The defeat of Satan is directly tied to the resurrection. The defeat of Satan is directly tied to Jesus fulfilling why he came. But spiritually speaking, understand this. The world in our former lives, we were like the walking dead. People like that show, and I don't even, I've never seen it. I've heard of there's a show called this, right? I think so. Uh, we were like the walking dead. And only Jesus, through the work of the cross, can lift people off the conveyor belt of the walking dead and the other direction, opposite of worldwide deception, opposite of worldwide just kind of numbness, following the way 
Satan would have everyone go. And notice the central theme of the world. The spirit of our works are the sons of what? Disobedience. Disobedience. That all started with pride way back with Satan. And, but it was disobedience. But Adam and Eve were told, do not eat of this tree. And they disobeyed, right? And forevermore, we all are sons and daughters of disobedience. And disobedience is any time God says, I command, I call you to repentance. You say, I'm not interested in that. I will do this. I will do that. And Satan's the facilitator of disobedience. Satan is always there, just like he told you, to tell people, God's okay with your disobedience. Not a problem. And that was our former life. Our former conduct, our former conduct, he says, among whom you also conducted ourselves, we once conducted ourselves, verse 3, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Our former conduct was this. It was willful and intentional effort to fulfill our desires, our lust of the flesh, and our thoughts that would come into our minds. It was our willful effort to anything that came in that we thought would actually be enjoyable for us, pleasurable for us, make us feel good, make us enjoy life, whatever it is. We were determined to act upon those things we thought would make us happy. Isn't that really what everyone's searching for is happiness, right? And so it doesn't mean that people say, I will live a life of sin. But God says, no, no, here is the only path to happiness. But we say, no, no, in our flesh and our mind, no, 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 no. Reading a Bible could never make me happy. I'll go this direction, right? Way back in the beginning, Cain and Abel, right? Abel said, I'll follow the Lord. Cain says, I don't want that. I'll do my own. God says, this is the sacrifice that I'll receive. Cain says, I'll give you something else. Why don't you just take a little bit of these fruits and vegetables? Blood sacrifice I'm not interested in. Our former conduct, we wanted what our minds thought would give us satisfaction, happiness, fulfillment. You know, it's not just the world's philosophy, but it's many people's personal philosophy, and you've heard it many times. If it feels good, do it. That's a lot of people's personal philosophy. They may not articulate it that way, but that's the way they live. If it feels good, I do it. And if it's not hurting anybody, which, by the way, all sins eventually hurt other people, if it's not hurting anybody, then that's okay too. For many people, that Frank Sinatra classic, I did it my way, right, is, the, is, is kind of part and parcel with it. it feels good, do it. I did it my way. The problem is our way only lasts as long as we're still breathing, right? In 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 3 through 5, listen to what Peter, Peter says to the church. 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 3 through 5. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Now, by the way, not everybody lived this former life. 
Some of us did, and we can look back and say, yeah, I, I, check, check that one, check, check, check. You got any more on the list? Because you can check them all, right? Some people say, well, I didn't live that way, but I still was lost, because you can be just as lost not you know, doing lewd things or partying. You can be just as lost like the Pharisees doing religiosity, but have no personal relationship with God. But nevertheless, Peter goes on and says, in regard to these things, they think it's strange, and many of your former friends think you're strange now. They think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They think you're weird now. When you lied a lot, that was cool. Now that you tell the truth, so bizarre. So bizarre that you now tell the truth. Why do you do that? They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. You know, someday everybody's going to give an account to God. That's what Peter's reminding we either had, in our past, we either had no regard or we had no restraint to whether or not our feeling good was acceptable to the very God who created us. So, well, this makes me feel good. God says, well, it might make you feel good, but that's temporary, I can guarantee you. We either had no regard to it or no restraint in that. And someday, God really will judge every single person, every single one. That's why it says here, we were by nature children of wrath. Paul reminds us that the status of our conduct, the status of our conduct, and by the way, that status, Satan conveniently never reminds people of this. Satan does not remind people of their current status, but Satan's well aware of it, and God is proclaiming it through Paul here. That while we were dead in our sins, while we were walking according to the course of this world, while we were in our own lusts and our own deceptions, our own desires, we were under the wrath of God. Did you know that before saved? You were under the wrath of God. We were unaware of it, or we were just kind of drowning out our unawareness with busyness. Just completely, if I don't think about any of this, it probably doesn't exist. But no, we were still under the wrath of God. Now, the good news about Jesus is, Jesus said in John chapter 3, he said, I did not come to condemn the world because the world was condemned already. He said, I came because you were under condemnation, not to condemn, but to pull you out of condemnation. We were already condemned. Interestingly enough, our spirit was dead. Think about, even though our spirit was dead, think about when you were unsaved, you still knew something wasn't right with you. Deep down, I'm telling you, every single person, I don't care if they're a cold-blooded killer in ISIS. I don't care if they're uh, living it up last night uh, and they were having the time of their life. The time they get laying in bed sometimes, something in deep in them, they're dead. And yet God, even for the deadness, gives enough of a conscience a person says, something isn't right with me. Something's not right. You ever heard the term where they say, get right with God? That's what it is. God gives this little bit of a conscience, even to the, the dead of the spirit, something's not right. Our flesh didn't desire God, but yet we still had some guilt related to God. And people have it. And that's why I see people, I'll talk to them, and they won't know that they're throwing out excuses, and I'll hear them, and you'll hear them. And they think that they're just kind of stating, well, this is the way it is. No, 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 that's, that's actually, your conscience is under some conviction, so you're coming up with some fig leaves. That's what you're coming up with. You're trying to sow them quick. 
Because you know that God knows and sees through all this stuff. I was watching a sitcom recently, and, and it was classic. At the end, of the, it was basically about uh, the, the, the two main characters were getting older. And they were starting to realize their mortality. This happens about midlife for many people. Don't go buy a Corvette. That won't help you. So, um, but anyway, you know, you have, you have this, you start to sense uh, your mortality. And they were talking about how it was just kind of bothering them in ways that they couldn't. It's just, it's just a regular, not Christian, just a regular sitcom. And then their kids came home, and the house got all noisy and everything. And, and, and the conclusion was this, that you're just supposed to stay busy enough to not think about all that stuff. And it was the first time I'd seen the world literally state their case. I was like, wow. I hope whoever the writer was, probably some 22-year-old writer or something like that, fresh out of UCLA or something like that, right? Writes write the script. They did not know how much truth they were talking about because that's exactly what Satan wants everybody to do. Stay busy, have your, have your earbuds in. When you get to the track, keep them in. When you get on the radio, turn the radio on. When you get home, turn the TV on. Do, uh, do anything. Stay on Facebook. Do your work. Do your work on your laptop. And don't think. And when you get about 99, then maybe you can think about it. But until then, don't think at all. That was our former conduct. That was our past. But let's look at the next passage, verse 4. We have a past. It was darkness. It was death. Verse 4, but God. But God. If we can say, I was once lost, but now I'm found. This is our praise, brothers and sisters. We, by the Spirit, heard God calling us by name. Though we were dead, though we were trapped in the world, though we were covered in sin, living for ourselves, running from and resisting God, but God. This is our praise. This is the praise of the redeemed both now and for all eternity. For all eternity we'll be saying, but God. The presence of God will be saying, but you, God. We deserve judgment, but God. We were in rebellion, but God. We were guilty, but God. We had little or no interest in repenting, but God. We didn't care about Jesus. We didn't care about the Bible. We didn't care about salvation, but God. We were too dead to even understand the predicament we were in, but God. One might think, well, if we were spiritually dead, how did we hear it all? That's a very good question. Some might say, well, that's a contradiction. If you said we're dead, how would we hear God? Well, we got one major factor here. God has no limitations. God can speak. He has the power to speak to the dead. No one else has this. John eleven forty three. Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. He's been dead in the grave. Four days now here. His body's starting to stink. He's wrapped up. Jesus calls beyond the stones, beyond the skin, all the way into eternity. He calls, Jesus calls through every level of every dimension and says, Lazarus, your spirit is to jump back in the body and come out. Isn't that great about God? 
Yes, you were dead. You can't hear from anybody. The only person that can talk to a dead person is God. The only one that can speak through it all is God. That's why Paul's saying, but God, Paul was on the road to Damascus. He was the walking dead. Who stopped him? Jesus. Jesus stopped Paul dead in his tracks. Jesus can speak past all these things. Notice the words of God here and how he's brought forth this new life. But God who is rich in what? Mercy. We praise God now because we see and we now understand he's been merciful to us. He's not executed the judgment we deserve. That's what mercy is, not giving us what we deserve. He's been rich in mercy. Mercy we still can't comprehend. You need to think about it a little longer if you can comprehend it. Mercy we can't comprehend. Not only that, in Psalm 13, 5, it tells us this. It says, but I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. See, this mercy causes us to rejoice. It says, we know that we have not received that which we deserve, and it, it brings forth this praise. It should bring forth a praise in our life. Habakkuk 3.18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The God of our salvation. Not our salvation, His salvation that He's wrought in us. And the praise and rejoicing of our salvation can be summed up like this. This is what we can sum up our praise. I was dead and deserving of death, but God made me alive. Twice Paul says it. We've been made alive. Made alive. And how did he do this? Well, here's the list. Look at the list. It's in your Bibles. Verses 4 and 5 there. Here's the list. One, his mercy. Two, his great love. For God so what? Loved the world. That he sent, number three on the list, his son Jesus. It's in the list. Paul, you can circle them in your own Bible, verses four and five. His mercy, his love, his son Jesus. And it was all done through the last one. His amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That's what it says. It doesn't say that song, but it says, by grace you have been saved. This is the list of how God's accomplished it. God only is our praise. And he's not only the source of our salvation. He, this whole but God is our praise, no doubt about it. it we'll be praising for all eternity. But I want you to think about something as it relates to the here and now. He is worthy of praise because of what he's done in calling us from the grave. But this but God praise, this, these two words, but God, they can be the praise of many aspects of your Christian life. What do I mean by that? Well, he's not only the source of our salvation, but God is also the anchor of our life. He's the promise of all things. He's our hope in the face of hopelessness. If you're here this morning and you have an unsolvable problem that no one even knows about but you, you have an unsolvable problem, you can look at it from every angle and you say it's unsolvable. Do you know he's the God of the impossible? If you have fears this morning, you haven't even shared with anybody else, but God knows them. If you have worries, if you have pain, could be physical pain, could be emotional pain, could be no one knows about it but you. By the way, God knows about that too. If you have a financial crisis, you know what to do. 
You have a prodigal you've been praying for for years. Maybe you feel guilt or shame because you have walked away from such a great salvation. All of these things. But God. But God. He has same today as he did then, as he will in the future. He has the same mercy, the same love, the same grace, the same power of his son Jesus to turn anything around. Isn't that great to know? If he can turn death around, he can turn your financial crisis around. He can turn around your irrational fears. He can turn around your unsolvable problems. Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who can be against us? Last thing we'll look at this morning. It's found in the last few verses. By the way, this passage, this passage verse, verses 1 through 10, in the Greek... It's two sentences. It's two sentences. We're looking at it as ten verses, but it's only two sentences. The subject, did you know in the Greek term, the subject of it all? You might think it's alive. Guess what the subject is? God. That's why but God is right there in the middle. God is the subject here. The verb is made alive. So, when you look at this passage, if you had to sum it up, say, but God has made a lot. God is the focus, not us. We're just the benefactors. We're the recipients of being made alive. In these two Greek verses, the two Greek sentences, God is the subject, made alive is the verb. And because of what he's done, Paul finishes this portion, these, the second sentence here, if you will, with our place. Starting verse 6, and raised us up. So this is what God has done. He's raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace, verse 7, in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For, he says it again, for by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of, subject to the whole text, God. Not of works, Lest anyone should boast, you could never do enough to please God. So you can stop trying and just rest in Jesus. Final verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You don't have to worry. Will I ever be able to fulfill them? Yes. They've already been created before you were born. You have to slip your shoes in those slippers. Or slip your feet in those slippers, right? You know. You don't want to put shoes in slippers. That just, that's kind of double. Anyway. Pay no attention to the issues of the pastor anyway. But when you think about verse 6, we've been raised up together and made, together, uh, and made us to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I want to remind you here this morning what Paul's reminding the Ephesians. Our present location is earth. I live in Chesterfield County, and so do some of the rest of you. Some of you live in Powhatan, some of you live in Goochland, some of you live in, what's that other county? Anyway, anyway, there's other county. Henrico, the other one over there. So you live in different places, but we have a present zip code here, but we have a permanent zip code in heaven with Jesus. That's our permanent zip code. I'm tempted to start writing that on my mail or something, you know? <laughs> you want my permanent location or my current location? Which one do you want, you know? That way you can stop bothering me. You know, send it to heaven. You know, 
God has all the money. He'll pay that bill. You know, that'd be great, wouldn't it? Let's just start doing that, you know? Return address. <laughs> I will be living a long time here, so, and only a short time here. So here, send it there. But this is not our home. This really isn't our home. You've got to understand, Paul knew this. He said, for me, to be dead would be gain, Paul said. This isn't our home. We've been made alive to go to a place of eternal living. We've been made alive to go where everyone will forever be alive. If we're saved, our names are written now in the Lamb's Book of Life. Not they will be written, they are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Isn't that great to know? Right now up in heaven, God can see your name written in the book. Revelation 21, verse 27. If you want to know where that passage is, write it down. Revelation 21, 27. Jesus said, I love that. Jesus was praying before he went to the cross. He's praying. He's pouring out his heart to God. In John chapter 17, he said of, he said of his disciples, and he says this of us, they are not of this world just as I am not of this world. If people say, you feel like, it's like you're not even from here. Say, I'm not. Well, I was, but I got adopted, transferred out. But I still have to hang out here for a little while longer. We've been taken from death to life, from the course of this world to the will of God. And from making earth our home, we were taken from trying to make earth our home. Remember when you tried to make everything about this earth your home? We tried to do that, and now instead we're looking upward to our home in heaven with God the Father. Listen to what C.S. Lewis said. He said, a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. Paul wouldn't have, wrote, writ, he wouldn't have written this if we weren't supposed to look forward to heaven. That's why he said, then the ages to come, he says, you guys need to know this. Matter of fact, he told the church to comfort each other with these words, to say, hey, by the way, we're not here forever. We're going on a really good vacation forever. And look what awaits us in the eternal presence of God. Paul enumerates a few things here. He says that in the ages to come, and we'll have, we'll have been there a billion years, it will be like a second. The ages to come, he'll show us the exceeding riches of his grace. You think you've experienced his grace now? Wait till you see him face to face. And his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus, the things of this world, you'll never think, saying, boy, I sure do miss a good slice of New York-style pizza. <laughs> the former things, the Bible says, will be long gone. I know that people say, oh, I'm going to get the golf on the 18th hole up there. I, I'm not sure that's going to happen. <laughs> the former things won't even be remembered, the Bible says. You're trying to compare paltry things that we can do here compared to the glory of heaven. There's no comparison. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 2.9, Eye has not seen nor ear heard or have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. So the things you and I can ponder, well, those aren't, Paul said those things, it's the things that have not even entered in our mind are the things that God has prepared. But our place in the family of God is not only a future place of glory, it's not only a place where we will uh, experience the fulfilling of God's love and mercy and grace, but our place now, as he goes to say here, uh, we're not saved. He said, you're, you're saved by faith, not of works. That's any mention both. But then in verse 10, we are his works created in Christ Jesus for good works. 
So we're saved by this grace that will be lavished, that'll be lavished upon us in heaven, but we need that grace right now to persevere until we make it to our final destination. Our place now, yes, our names are in the Lamb's Book of Life, but our place now is to be fulfilling the will of God by the grace of God and taking his love to a lost and dying world. Taking that love to people who have not been yet transferred from death to life. And ministering to those that have already been saved, and that's what discipleship is, and, and helping them to grow. That's the works that we're called to in verse 10. But it's not of our works. I haven't read this quote in a while, but it bears reading every now and then. You know John Newton wrote Amazing Grace. That former slave ship captain that was you know, radically changed and hated who he once was. He said, I am not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I hope to be in another world, but still I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. That's the message we take to people that see us now. Is they, Look, I'm not even what I want to be, what I hope to be, what I know I will be in heaven but I'm not what I used to be, and that was dead. And that was in my trespasses. And now I've been saved. We've been saved to do the works of the Lord in his grace. Not, we couldn't do it in our own strength. We've been saved to take this message of grace to a world that's walking in spiritual death and darkness. They say, well, they don't know they're in darkness. Neither did we. We're called. They say, well, I can't get through to a dead person. You're right, you can't. God can speak to the grave, right? When we present the Word of God, it's sharp, it's powerful, more powerful than a two-edged sword. That's why you can't argue people on Facebook into the kingdom. It'll never work. I rose my voice on purpose. But you can love them with the Scriptures. A simple verse set in love is better than you writing 50,000 paragraphs with the, well, here's the case of why you're wrong. It'll only entrench a person in their darkness. The gospel sets people free. We're called to go into the world and bring living water, but Jesus is the living. He makes them alive. You and I can't convince them. We just simply say it. And I am amazed that over the years I've said things and people have gotten saved, and I'm like, I am sure it wasn't because of me, because I'm too flawed to have an impact, and so are you. But isn't it great he's made us alive to bring this message? Let's close in prayer.